Well, here we are today. Low Oxygen Brewing Podcast number one. I guess we'll call it the origin stories. Um, I'm going to just kind of talk a little bit about me and how we all came about and and how that all works. So I started brewing in the early 2000s. Uh, My dad got a Mr. Beer kit from a friend of his. My dad is the exact opposite of a brewer. In fact, he only drinks one beer. And it's a light American lager, and he's quite a diva about it. If the bars don't carry it, he will literally drink water instead. So he was given this gift, and uh, he wasn't going to use it. Me being me, uh, I was an inquisitive lad, and uh, I thought, what the heck? So I'll never forget taking out the ingredients, um, laying them out on the counter, and trying to figure out what I was supposed to be doing. I remember smelling hops for the first time, and uh, for some reason I thought they were poisonous or not really poisonous but something that had to be boiled first so I shouldn't really smell them you know early 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 uh late teenager we'll call it early 20s and uh didn't really have an understanding didn't really like beer myself however I made that first batch on the stove and it was actually quite interesting I don't know it made beer I watched it as as you do with the mr. beer I bottled it and uh, proceeded to try and drink it and it was all right um, but the process is is really what I love the most crafting something from scratch and so I remember I was working, um, I was going to school still, and uh, I was working cleaning a restaurant in the mornings before school, and I remember talking to one of the bartenders there and told him that I was making my own beer, to which he replied, oh yeah, yeah, I do that too, Um, and he asked what what beers I liked, and I I basically said, uh, you know, your standard... American light lagers. And so he gave me some beers to try to go pick up from the liquor store. So I went out and I bought uh, Anchor Steam. Anchor Steam was the first real craft beer I ever tasted. And I remember tasting it and uh, thought it was vile. It was just not what I knew beer to taste like. Um, there was, I think, some Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. Could not drink that either. Um, it was just a whole lot of everything too much for me. Um, but there was another kit, uh, that came with the Mr. Beer, and it was, uh, I believe an American wheat beer kit. And my dad has a, uh, my parents, my, my parents have a, a very nice garden. 
And my dad's been growing raspberries there for as long as I can remember. And uh, every year he gets, you know, this bountiful harvest of blackberries and red raspberries. So that year, it happened to be around the same time. And I remember um, getting some of the, the red raspberries and adding them to the beer. And it was actually a really nice beer for what it was. And there was a, a party, and I remember serving it in two-liter pop bottles. And the girls really seemed to like it, and I thought it was good too. So that's basically what spawned my brewing. And so soon after that, I went to Midwest Supplies and kind of splurged on a kit, which was, you know, like your, your standard extract kit, your bucket, your fermenters, um, brewed a batch of uh, Irish Red, and that was a really nice beer. And then I came back and said, you know, these are nice beers and whatnot, but I really think that I want to make a light lager. And they said, uh, <laughs> you know, that's pretty advanced. You're going to need all this other stuff and, and whatnot. And I said, okay. So I got it. I got a fridge controller and the whole nine, and, and I, I started making lager beer. And uh, that was after my second batch of beer. Well, f fourth, really, because I had two Mr. Beer uh, kits that I did, the one Irish Red, and uh, then it was light lagers and lagers from there on out. So um, there was a lot of beer. I made a lot of beer. What I found out right away is that the stovetop was not where I wanted to be at. The all grain was much more intriguing to me. And because I'm a, a process guy and a engineering guy, the more the most the more control of the levers, the better. And so what we did what I did is uh brewed I think one batch all grain with a, you know, turkey fryer and uh, a pot and a cooler. And it took me one time to realize that uh, this was way too hands-on. And so I built my first system. My first system was a, a three-vessel single tier. Uh, I built that right around probably 2006, roughly guessing. And uh, I built a wooden frame, put that in there. Um, right away, went electric. Uh, I had a cooler mash ton in the in the center of the tier, and then uh, I had one pump, and that would allow me to. Uh, I had a, I built a manifold uh, where all the work could come to, and I could pump in different directions. Manual ball valves, but uh, electric in that, and a pump. And I found that that was fun. And then uh, we ended up moving to another house. And in that other house, there was a utility room. And that utility room was definitely calling my name. I didn't, uh, the old house I brewed in the garage and everything was in the garage. So in the winter, it was just a, a bear. We're in Minnesota. So you're talking about frozen hoses and 
all sorts of not fun stuff to deal with. So, uh, the new house moved in and, uh, got the basement finished. And, uh, with that came the brew room. Uh, basically I, I encased the, uh, water heater and the furnace behind some bifold doors, built a little nook for a, a, a keezer back in one corner and piped those taps out to the main living room from there. And then uh, the rest of the, the, the room now was wide open for my brewing system. And I built a, a two vessel brewing system uh, based on the brew troller. Uh, first, it was actually BCS. Based on the BCS system, um, I for the life of me can't remember his name who created it. I wanna say Adam, but I don't know if that's right. He was from Rochester, Minnesota, and, and we got together, and and I really liked that system. I could operate it uh, with the touchscreen and all that fun stuff, and that really played to my what I like to do. Um, due to not being able to do some stuff, I switched over to the brew troller, and then I built my two-vessel system based on uh, Blickman uh, kettles that was all hard piped and, and everything and it was actually featured in the New York Times among some other um, BYO and Zymergy I think and so that system I brewed a lot of beers on that system a lot of beers and uh, we lived at that house for probably five to seven years and uh, brewed quite a bit um, moved to this current location in 2014 and uh, I built this house and in designing the blueprints for this house I put a brewery in the basement uh, as you can see behind me behind glass and um, eventually when I get the basement all finished there'll be a, a bar and seating around the bar and so you can look at the brewery through the glass and so that was the mindset I knew I was gonna brew I knew I wanted to, uh, to rebuild my system and so uh, that's what came of it and uh, I brewed I pretty much started brewing lager beer um, like from that fourth batch on and, and really tried to perfect it. Um, I lost, I don't have the count in front of me, but I'm probably at 1500 beers or 1500 batches of beer at this point in my life, uh, between five gallon, 10 gallon, one barrel, three barrel, seven barrel, 10 barrel, helped a lot of breweries around here with process and stuff like that. Um, and uh, I brewed a lot of beer, uh, but lager beer has always been uh, my favorite and kind of my white whale. And why I say it was my white whale is because I could produce it and it was good. I mean, it was fine. You know, I won a lot of medals with it and, you know, it was it was fine.
But to me, there was always something missing. It was this something I couldn't get. And it was very prevalent in the German continental beers. And so it, it haunted me for a long time, you know, uh, 15 years. No, not that many. At least 10 to 12. And so that brings us to getting together with a group um, on Facebook called German Brewing. Now, the German Brewing Facebook group was for people who liked German beers. Um, it was homebrewers. It was just normal folks who go to, went to Germany or who were connoisseurs of, of German beer. And so um, I really, really, really liked that place and uh, loved to see all the German beers and the people going to Germany and, and all that stuff. So some other background that I left out was, was that my grandma was born and raised in Salzburg, Austria. And so I do have German roots, albeit Austrian. And um, I've always had this, I don't know, something that really has drawn me to that region and, and those beers. And so when I joined that group, uh, a lot of people would post pictures of their beer and stuff like that. So I posted some pictures of my beer and and found that um, people liked it and, and we would get to talking. Well, the creator of the site, his name was Brandon. Brandon and I began to talk and um, decided at one point to exchange beers. He was a home brewer, I was a home brewer. He was over in Pennsylvania or Philadelphia or somewhere over there. And um, so we exchanged beers. I was really excited because Brandon goes to Germany quite a bit. Uh, his wife is from Germany. And so he knows or knew, knew knows uh, German beer. And so I was really excited to switch beers with him. And, and so we switched beers and um, tasted each other's beers and, and uh, his beers tasted like mine, mine tasted like his, they were good, but we both agreed that they were missing something. Um, we kind of coined, he kind of coined the phrase it. So it was missing it. What is it? It really wasn't, it is hard to be defined. It is, I don't know, probably probably a, a, a fresh malt character, a good fermentation character, slight sulfur, just a beautiful, rounded, flawless beer. That's it. And so we would go back and forth over theories and have discussions about it and how to create it. Was it decoction? Was it grains? Was, was it a freshness, freshness of grains that we couldn't get here? Was it hops? Was it 
scale? Was it size? Was, was, what was it? And so we had many, 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 many discussions about it. And as we were having these discussions, uh, more people seemed interested in, and understood what we were talking about, albeit we really didn't have a definition ourselves. And so this, this it, people understood that there was this something in these beers that you couldn't really get over here. And even in beers from Germany that were shipped here, they lost a lot of it. And in beers made here, there was no it. And so that led us to create a, a little subgroup out of the German brewing group, which was um, handful of members. It was Brandon, myself, uh, a gentleman by the name of Steve, a gentleman by the name of uh, Nico, and Nico was a tran uh, Munich transplant to the London area and still has had family and whatnot over there. So he was very in tune with it and what potentially it was. Um, then there was another gentleman by the name of Dave. And then we brought in uh, another local to me kit. And then ultimately we brought in a couple more people, uh, Russ and uh, CT. And so that it really started out though with the core of about four of us five of us the core was brandon uh, myself nico steve dave and i think that's five and so what we really started to do is deep dive into all the different thoughts uh, processes, what we thought it could be, and try a whole bunch of stuff. And um, we tried, my system was basically the, the guinea pig or the test system, the pilot system as it were. Um, I had, my system was the most uh, repeatable and consistent because at that point it was still controlled by uh, Brewtroller, which is the Arduino microcontroller and so you can achieve a decent level of precision with that and so whenever we try something new we'd always try it here on the system and so we tried everything known to man um, all these methods every mashing method decoction single infusion step mashing um, albeit I was already doing the step mashing and brewing uh, a lot of German lagers anyways, so that was all familiar to me. Um, we tried different water, different salts, different malts, different hops, aged hops, fresh hops. Uh, we tried uh, different fermentation schedules, different carbonation schedules, uh, Spies, Krausen. Um, we tried everything. And nothing could get us there. And nothing could produce it. And so we were at a loss. And one day, 
we happen to be brewing and we're all watching it and um we tried a method where we dote in really low at like uh 95 degrees or something for an acid rest and uh so during that process uh what happened was my pump started sucking in air and my straw colored wart which was a light straw color went from straw to deep orange with all the air that was being pumped through and so i, I watched this with with my own eyes you know through the sight glass and i i remember commenting about it and i said geez I just watched this stuff go dark and, and the flavor changed. The flavor went from a more a raw grain flavor to sweet and no grain flavor. And um, Dave, who is a, a scientist, Dave said, huh. And we all thought on it for the night and Dave came back the next day and he goes, what about oxidation? And so we all said, well, Mm, you know, HSA, hot side aeration, has basically been debunked, and I don't, I don't know. And he said, well, I mean, how is it any different than, you know, slicing an apple and setting it on the counter, or slicing an avocado, or, or anything like that? It, you know, the, the interaction between air and the, the fruit, or, or the malt, or the raw material, we'll call it, um has an effect and what we know about chemistry and what we know about science is that heat accelerates the molecules which accelerates the effects and so we what we started to um really think about at that point was oxidation and, and on the hot side and we thought about it like how can we mitigate it how can we even start I mean this is a losing battle on on any front uh for one the the scale our pots are short and fat whereas professional brewing systems are tall and narrow comparatively um professional brewing systems are enclosed ours are wide open and so once we started to think about this and kind of put two and two together it started to make sense now we started to then research and look into some pro professional literature um like this book uh technology malting and brewing by coons uh, die berry, uh, beer, die beer brewery band two from Narzis. And, um, we found some really interesting things. Namely, you can't go more than a couple pages without seeing oxygen mentioned and how it's bad from strike water to mashing to doing in, to boiling, to cooling, all sorts of oxygen. I mean, it was like, it was like these books were, were tailored to exactly what we were 
kind of fight, no, not really fighting, but discussing amongst ourselves about, well, is it oxygen? How could it be oxygen? And, and all that fun stuff. Um, so knowing is only half the battle. And so, okay, so maybe it is oxygen. Maybe it is hot side. Um, but where do we go from here? How do we even start? And so the first thing we did the next time, the next time I brewed, was pre-boiled and cooled as fast as I could the strike water. So what we noticed and what was real interesting was that when I did that, the, the mash was way lighter in color, SRM value-wise. And, and it, wasn't, it, wasn't, it didn't have an orange hue to it, like a burnt orange hue, like an apple that you slice sitting on the counter. That, that white flesh goes to that brown hue. And, and what we found was by just deoxygenating that strike water, changed the hue um, to a pale yellow instead of that that brownish hue and so what was really interesting about that then was that all of a sudden it was there and it was this fresh grain taste and it was unlike anything I've ever tasted as far as wort goes ever before. And so it was uh, quite the revelation. It was super fun, super interesting. However, by the end of mashing, it went away. So here's what starts the, the, the process of creating which is not really creating we soon found out we thought it was create something was creating it but at the end of the day nothing is creating it we are saving it and so we went down this path of trying to create it only to have it slip away in different parts of the process and so in our, our deoxygenated, deoxygenated mash only, it was there in the beginning, and then it was gone. So at least there was something. So that kind of set us down this path of, okay, maybe it is oxygen, but how can we keep oxygen out? I mean, we live in oxygen. And so then there was thoughts of, uh, capping the vessels, purging the vessels, um, using antioxidants such as potassium or sodium metabisulfate, um, ascorbic acid, which is also an antioxidant. And so that kind of took us down this path of many dozens and dozens of brews of having it and losing it all throughout the brewing process. So what that culminated to, uh, to was a 
process that we knew would guarantee it lasting at least through the hot side. We ran our own we ran into our own set of issues losing it on the cold side and that went from fermenting warm, not pitching enough yeast, healthy yeast, um, forced carbonation, improper purging of kegs and vessels. And so we finally, after probably 100 plus batches of beer, I was able to go from start to finish and create a beer with it through a process with steps and procedures. Those steps and those procedures culminated to a paper in 2000, April 2014 that's, that's called On Brewing uh, Bavarian Hellas. Now that paper was written uh, as a surefire 100% uh, way to create a beer with it. Now, all of a sudden, we're creating beers that taste like the commercial counterparts of Europe, fresh counter counterparts of the beers in Europe. Now, what we found out is that The small brewer American way of making beer was damaging the malt antioxidants and polyphenols, which was then causing them to evaporate and not be in the beer, which is why probably 99% of the beer created in the United States does not have this character. It is a method and a procedure that needs to be followed in order for that beer to have this character. And so we figured that out. And really all the professional literature confirmed and basically um, is saying the same thing. And minus the antioxidants, um, it's debatable. I don't really know what side of the fence I'm on but the Germans have the Reinheitsgebot, and um, that basically states that technically they can't add things to beer that they can't take out, which basically means um, you can't add anything other than barley unless it's an ale. So if it's a lager beer, it has to you know have all 100% barley um, and no wheat malts or, or any adjuncts like that. Um, and some other interesting things, but the, the German brewers, the reinheitsgebot has been around since 1516 and the Germans are smart folks. The Germans have been brewing a long time. The Germans know how to make pale lagers the best there is. I'll say that and um, I would I don't know that that any of these large macro professional brewers are using antioxidants 
But if they were, we would never know. And there'd be no way for us to tell. Because the antioxidants um, are used up at the, at the time of uh, oxygenating the wart at pitching. And once that happens, they're gone. There's no way to track it. Um, much like the German brewers can add PVPP um, for fining and remove it with a filter, and that's fine. So I'll debate that. I, I don't, like I said, I don't know what side of the fence I'm actually on. I don't know if it's good, bad, or indifferent. I don't know if they do or they don't. But if they did, we would never know. And if they don't, they don't. Um, and so once we figured out these antioxidants will help, the, these potassium and sodium metabisulfites and this ascorbic, ascorbic acid, um, they react with oxygen in water and um, when they break down, after they oxidize, they break down to either potassium and sulfate or sodium and sulfate, and um, they're harmless. It, it basically just adds to your water chemistry. And so the, the antioxidants were always, always were and, and are a hack for a home brewer to allow us super low uh, DO water and process without having a professional system because most home brewers don't. And it was actually uh, brought forth by Dave and it was ingenious. It's still, it's an, it's an ingenious, ingenious method. Um, a lot of people get really upset about that and they use that as this like, um, as their, their, their fight subject, like professional brewers don't use antioxidants. Okay. And so that's losing the, the forest for the trees though. It's, it's a minuscule deal in the grand scheme of things. And so, um, what we were finding out was that uh, with these antioxidants, with capping uh, our vessels, with you know pumping gently, boiling gently, basically mirroring what the professional brewers are doing, we were creating beers that were much, much more um, world-class examples of the style. And so um, when that paper came out in 2014, that was a 100% guaranteed way to create a beer like a Munich Helles that you would get in Munich from Paul Enner, from August Steiner, from Spaten, from Einger, anyone like that. All these brewers there have been brewing a long time. They're on state-of-the-art professional brewing systems, and they know what the hell they're doing. They've known, they've known oxygen on the hot side is bad for their product since, God, I'm pretty sure I've seen early 1900s 
professional brewing literature saying the same thing. So um, I know for sure since the 70s, since the early 70s, um, there's been papers and journals about hot side aeration. And so the paper came out and it was immediately create or, or, um, the paper came out and it was immediately greeted with nothing but backlash. And um, which was really interesting. It, it's a really interesting uh, people study. Um, there's a lot of information in not only just the brewing community, but in life as a whole that is antiquated and outdated. Now, a lot of people have hung their hats on certain methods and procedures. And again, I'm not just talking about brewing. I'm talking about life in general that are rooted in times where it may have been correct, but times change, technology advances, science advances. And once you're able to reproduce things and test them and verify them, you have two options. And this is the people study, really. You have two options. You believe and you change or you don't. And to me personally, I don't care which one it is. And that's not just in brewing, that's in life as well. You can believe in change or you don't. And so um, a lot of people didn't. And that is completely fine. In fact, a lot of the beers made in the world aren't made low oxygen. Now that's not to say that making them low oxygen would make them worse, but the stylistic characters of these beers are made by process. So your American IPA, there's not a lot of malt backbone, it's hops. And, um, you know, you could certainly brew it low oxygen and you could add that malt backbone in and you would find you maybe like that. You would find maybe you don't like that. But the fact of the matter is, is that the beers today, most of the beers produced in the United States taste like beers made in the United States. And that's because most of the beers in the United States are made like beers in the United States. Single infusion, small craft brewers who are once home brewers, and I'm not knocking on that in, in any shape or form. Um, but you'll find that generally more of the European brewers have been schooled, have professional degrees in brewing, and the beers made in Europe taste like beers made in Europe. And why is that? Because they're beers made with the process and procedures of people from Europe. And so it, it, it's not, it doesn't, it, it transcends more than beer. Look at 
Look at a steak. Look at a steak in Europe versus steak in the United States versus steak in Mexico. All these different steaks and meats are going to taste different. And why do they taste different? Because the animals are eating different foods. They're handled differently. It's different methods and different processes. They're all cooked, but maybe one cooks it over a griddle and one cooks it over hardwood charcoal and one cooks it in an oven. So the, the home brewers, a lot of the home brewers were really upset when that paper came out, which is foolish because nowhere did it say that that was the way to brew all beers. Now, I will say that I don't brew a beer that isn't low oxygen because I prefer the beers brewed low oxygen. Um, but that's not to say that you can't make a, a decent beer. And no one ever said that. No one ever said that. And so there was a lot of animosity over this paper. And, and the paper was solely about brewing Bavarian Hellas. Why someone would think that you can take a beer brewed in Germany by the professional brewers on their professional systems and hack together, I'm sorry, I won't use that word, and put together a beer that's brewed by American methods and call it a Hellas. It doesn't, it's like you taking that Mexican beef and telling me it's an American steak. It is not. No way, shape, or form. And so I think that was the biggest beef. But I don't understand why it was the beef because it's the truth. You can't create beers. You can't, well, you can't clone beers, period. But you can't try and clone a beer when you don't follow the same process and methods. It just doesn't work. The whole reason that beer is the way it is is because of said processes and procedures. That's just how it works. And it's not even beer. It's food. It's whatever. Whatever it may be. And so once that paper came out and you, you had your, your, your different camps and you had your camps of people who would try it and either see results. Well, if you tried it and you followed it, you would see a result. Whether you like that result or don't, that is really the only de the debate. The debate is not, is it different? Because it is. It's 110% different. It's a different process and it's a different procedure. It's going to yield a different result. That's just the way it goes. So the, the, the debate should never be, should never have been, is this different? Because it is. The debate should be, is 
this flavor something I like or not? Which is purely subjective. But at the bottom of it, it's going to create a different product. <clears throat> so, so this is created and, uh, and, and people try it. People don't try it again. This is April, 2014. And, um, I'm sorry, not April, 2014, 2014 is when the group was created. 2016 April of 2016 is when that paper was released 2014 is when that group uh, the, the small core group was founded and we started the process of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of or dozens and dozens and dozens of batches and so the paper was was disseminated take it or leave it love it or hate it uh, the overall was hate it and and I'll admit that paper was strongly worded. But I almost think it had to be. And I go back and forth on this too. You know, could it have been a more um dude, try it this way. Yeah, it could have been. Uh, but that's not us. And that's not the, the, to be frank, that's not the group we're after. The group of people we're after read that paper, didn't get offended because it wasn't offending. Listened, learned, tried it, or didn't believe, researched, and tried it. And we want those people... And, and not that this is a cult or not that this should even be a divide. It's just a different brewing process. That's all it is. And so, but in order to get this brewing process, you have to be, in general, a more... A more trying to find the right word disciplined brewer and you have to incorporate science and understand and I know right I understand a lot of people do this as a hobby and a lot of people don't want to do all that and that's cool that's totally cool no one's making you do anything you don't want to do and so, um, but the people who seem to, to embrace this and excel are the more technical oriented people and that are doing this for more than just a hobby. Like it's still a hobby, but they take it very seriously, and, which is exactly the same person I am. You know, I, I take my brewing very seriously. I hold my beers up to the commercial examples and when they fall short, that's a failure. And yeah, it might be fine to drink and all that fun stuff, but I failed and I'm going to try again until I get it right. And so, um, so the paper comes out, um, the paper actually, 
due to all the friction the paper cause, caused, it caused friction amongst the group. And so um, it basically divided the group into two camps. And uh, that was the last of the group, as it were. Um, it basically split down the middle and some of us went one way and some of us went the other way. In hindsight, it was all foolish and stupid. And I'm sure if we could, we would all put our egos aside and just let it be. And so, um, but that, that, that changed the course as it were for low oxygen brewing and low oxygen tactics. And so myself and some others, uh, went off and, uh, created our own website, which is lowoxygenbrewing.com, which is why we're here today. And um, we basically took a lot of the ideas from the original paper and um, distilled them down and tried to make them easier to follow for the masses. With the feedback and the kickback we got from the original paper, in order for people to actually try this, we felt we really had to dial it back and take it down a peg or two on the technical side. Not to say that it's not still technical. It is. But at least we feel it's more approachable. And being more approachable is good. Because at the end of the day, low oxygen brewing and everything it all is, was created in order to find other like-minded people to push the envelope further. Now, what I mean by that is I didn't really start the website to help people. I did, but in a different way you might think. I created the website to find like-minded people further the methods and the procedures. I didn't start the website to help people, period. If that makes any sense. What I'm trying to get out is I wanted something back and I wanted someone else to pass the torch to, as it were, or people to pass the torch to because I've been fighting the good fight since 2014 and things are finally starting now to turn around and people are understanding and people are stepping back and, and realizing that this is valid. It's just a different, it's just a different thing. I mean, there's still tons of kickback and still, which is sad to see um, because 90 8% of it is funded, is, is backed by dogma and no scientific fact or reason. And all we do is put forth scientific fact and reason. And it's just, it's just a weird deal. Um, but where I was going with that was, uh, where was I going with that? 
when we started the site, the the paper methods of a low oxygen brew brew house was it was a solid it's a solid work. Um, it, it tells you what you need to know. Um, no contention, no bias. Just if you want to try it, try it. And and you can try it or not try it. At the end of the day, um, you'll like it or you won't. And I'm not here to sell you anything. I'm not here to push anything. I'm here to talk about the facts, talk about what it is, how it is, and the like. So I think this is a pretty good way, a pretty good spot to stop the background because we're pretty much at current day now with the methods of a low oxygen brew house, the background of me and where I came from in the brewing world. Um, so I think what I'll do is I'll kind of discuss where I think I want this to go. So it's going to be a more long form discussion. Uh, I've already talked for about an hour just on the background. Whereas when I've been on podcasts and, and obviously I'm not going to type this in a forum poster online, long form like this, it's impossible. So I want to use this podcast as more of a long form, uh, information delivery. And so like, like I said, this was the first podcast. We spent an hour talking about the background of me and where we came from and how we, how we did it. Um, since this is podcast zero one, I think what I'm going to do going forward is uh, ask social media, whether it be Facebook, uh, the forums, Instagram, Twitter, etc., etc., if they have any questions that are pertaining to the subject. And then what we'll do is I'll get a list of questions. And then at the end of the segment, I'll read off the questions and, and answer them. Um, to be honest, uh, I don't post on forums much. Uh, I'm kind of over it, you know, for the last basically f six years. I've been saying the same shit over and over and over and over. And to be honest, I'm kind of tired of it. So I don't post much on the forums, um, but I, I love to answer questions and I love to, to help people out. So basically what I foresee for this, this podcast is uh, podcast zero two is going to be on the paper, methods of a low oxygen brew house. We're going to go over the paper. We're going to discuss it. I might kind of uh, dive off a little into some other subjects, but but if you read the paper online at lowoxygenbrewing.com, you'll notice that there's hyperlinks inside there, and I'm going to not go off probably on those hyperlinks when I when we talk about the paper, but I want to basically cover everything that we have in the blog in a long form like this and. Um, really talk about it and then answer questions pertaining to those different topics. And so we have a, a, a bunch of different topics on the blog, you know, from lager fermentation to carbonation to 
CO2 purity to sour goot and boiling and mashing and everything. So I think the, the podcast could really benefit from more long form about it. And so um, I think that's really where we want, where I want to go with this. You know, I don't know how long they're going to be. I'm not going to put a time frame on it. Um, but I'll try and do them when I can do them when I have time, probably on the weekends, early morning, uh, you know, a Saturday, Sunday or something like that when the kids are in bed and, and the house is quiet and uh, we'll talk about it and we'll get some questions and we'll answer some questions and um, go from there and, and see where it goes. So with that said, I think this will be it for podcast zero one, uh, which is background on myself and low oxygen brewing and on the next one we should probably we will probably discuss methods of a low oxygen brew house which is the paper and how that uh, was written and ended up in uh byo and being featured in in some other places which is which is really cool um big shout out to um derek scott who is my partner in crime on all this as well. He uh, helps with all the low oxygen brewing stuff on the website and uh, he's a great dude. So we will probably just cut this off now and uh, we'll talk to you all soon. Later. <laughs>